Welcome back, everybody, to the Innovative Leadership Podcast. I'm Ryan Stickle. With me, as always, is Stephanie Hurd. Hello. And today... Happy Friday the 13th. Yes, Friday the 13th (laughs) is here. Um, If we sound pretty relaxed and comfortable, it's because we have been podcasting for about 30 minutes now. Our recording dropped out on us for whatever reason, so we're back. Uh, It was a great conversation. We are going to try to replicate everything we can for you because it is awesome and with us in that conversation is Thomas DeBurra, president and label guru at Hub Labels, Inc. here in Hagerstown. Thomas, welcome again. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, this this is uh, unusual for us. This has never happened, but we're going to chug through because this is a uh, valuable conversation and valuable content for you loyal listeners. Uh, so, Thomas, thank you for sticking with us here. No um, <laughs> if you want to take us back in time, not only in your life, but in this podcast. Uh, Tell us about yourself a little bit and what you do at Hub Labels and a little bit of your backstory uh, about the family business. All right. Awesome. Well, thanks for having me again. (laughs) And we definitely acknowledge that today was Friday the 13th. So we did weird things happening. (laughs) Well, so I'll tell you a little bit about me. I'll start out. uh, So from a personal standpoint, um, you know, I, I was born in El Salvador, moved here when I was eight years old. Um, stayed local. Um, some of my hobbies kind of put it in constant con- context. I'm an outdoors guy. I love the outdoors. Um, anything outdoors. I'm big into mountain biking, cycling, skiing. I've been a ski patroller for about, uh, I want to say 35 years. Um, for- I was fortunate. I went to Mount St. Mary's college, which was, uh, five minutes from a local ski resort. So I was able to, um, uh, spend some time skiing up there. Um, even though my parents thought I was studying. Um, <laughs> so, you know, the interesting, I, I did grow up in El Salvador and, and I think I, I mentioned this before. It's interesting that I, I never saw snow until I was, um, I guess I would have been eight years old. And I absolutely love the fall and winter months. Um, you'd think that I'd be a summer guy, but I do like summer. But, um, you know, my parents uh, started the business in El Salvador. Um, it was, uh, I guess they started it in, in the 60s, in the late 60s. Uh, it was when packaging label printing was pretty early on when my, uh, during, because of the war, my parents had to move back to, to the States. They, my mom was originally from, uh, Hagerstown and, uh, my dad went back to work as an engineer and he was a part-time printer. My mom would work at the business doing billing and some finishing. And my dad would come in in the evening and print. Our first location was on Moggins Avenue where, um, the physiotherapist offices, so little teeny storefront. Uh, we're in our third location at about 120,000 square feet. So, yeah, we've um, we've spent a lot of time. I think we're 40 years in business. Wow. Um, so I'm a, a first-generation printer. It's all I've ever done. So if you want to take me back to when you started into the business and then when you took over, uh, can you just talk a little bit about the pressures that came with that, if there were any? You know, it's the, the family business is such a big thing when you're growing up and you're younger. Uh, what was that like when you kind of first dove head first in? Well, diving head, so you know, diving head first, it didn't feel like I, I went in head first because I've been, a, I've been in the business so many years. I mean, my summers were uh, um, working in the business. Um, I spent all my summers here um, at the business, rode my bike to work. Um, so when I took over the business in 14, it didn't feel like I was taking over the business because hmm. um, I've kind of always done it and it's, I like what I do. So it's not that I'm, if I have to go out and sell, it's not that I'm selling. If it's, if it's print technology or printing problems, it's just kind of like, um, it's, it was easy. 
Um, the tough part um, was, um, you know, when you're a leader, what's that, that saying? The, the, cr- the, the crown of the king is heavy or something? That, yeah. Heavy is the head that wears the crown. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Boy, it was great being the prince. I didn't have all those responsibilities. <laughs> but then all of a sudden when you realize that I've got, you know, 100 plus mouths to feed, you've got uh, investors that you need to take care of. Uh, and you certainly, the pressure came from the family. Because mm. um, I knew what I knew and I, I, I did it well. The uh, pressure came from the family to perform because I, I'm the youngest. So uh, the youngest typically doesn't take over the family business. Um, so that was where the pressure came from. Hmm. Yeah, and I wanted to talk about that that family balance as well. When you're in the family business, you're working with these people and then you go home and you're with these same people. Uh, can you talk about what that's like and kind of where you find the work-life balance? Yep. So I took the lead from my father on that, you know, because my mom and dad both worked in the business. Um, they, they had a rule when we, it's, when it's, we're at home, we don't talk about the business. So he had, and he was very strict about it. He wanted to spend time with the family. I kind of do the same thing. Um, although I, I know we talked about it earlier. I don't talk about business, but boy, do I think about it all the time. I, I think <laughs> I joke with my second in charge that I do my best thinking in the shower. It was mm-hmm. funny because this morning I, <laughs> I got out of the shower and I had a, an idea based on the meeting we had the next, the, the previous day. Um, so I, I, I try, one of the rules I tried to do, I don't respond to emails at night. Don't do it. Don't even look at them because a couple bad things happen. I tell my employees, um, th- you won't get an email from me. Um, mm. I don't expect you to email me either. Um, I, I believe your time at home is sacred and it, and it should be interfered. Doesn't mean I work. If I'm at home email and I schedule it to go to eight o'clock, yeah. right? Yeah. Because um, it's just I don't. You, you, some companies feel like when the boss emails you, you need to respond. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm. If I call you, it's probably pretty important, right? But right. I don't even do that. Yeah, it can wait. I like that you're kind of relaying that info to your employees as well. It's like don't feel obligated. Like work-life balance should exist, <laughs> and it will exist. Um, just cause you might receive an email from someone at this time, like what we can wait till, you know, seven or 8am in the morning when we all kind of get back to work anyway, cause we have so many hours in the day we are working, we can keep it there and we can have our own lives outside of it. What's weird. Sometimes I slip up on that email and it's amazing <laughs> how quickly people respond. So I suspect that my team below me, they, they break the rule. Mm. Mm. I love that. Yeah. And I love that you schedule it to go out in the morning because I, I'm the same way. Sometimes I'm like, ah, it's just easier to send the email now while it's fresh in my head. I don't expect their response. But yeah, you know, culturally, people feel pressured to respond whenever they see it. And everybody has email on their phones. And everybody does. And yep. they're always checking it. Yeah. And I, I mean, I do that sometimes because I have, you know, Teams notifications and emails yep. on. It's like, ah, it's, you know, 630. I'm out at dinner, but I, it's a quick response. I'll do it real quick. So I'm definitely guilty of that. <laughs> but um, and, you know, it's it's a good thing, at least that you you know, if, if someone likes their job enough, um, if that's the case, right? Because some people might feel there's a pressure to respond. But if if you like your job enough to just say, hey, I'll respond to this real quick, that is a good thing. But again, there there are times you have to draw that line because it can be so easy to let it to let it bleed bleed through there. Um, I wanted to to talk as well about, you know, being in the family business so long. Um, it's gone through a lot of growth, I'm sure. Uh, past years, past decades. Um, what do you do to kind of maintain that that small business feel, that family business kind of vibe and culture? 
Yeah, so we were talking about culture earlier. I spoke yesterday at the uh, uh, chamber event about culture. And when I was given the task to talk about culture and I was kind of reading about it and trying to uh, figure it out, um, I, I think as in sales, oftentimes you say you need to hit X number, right? And But it's not it's the activities that go into hitting that number that are important. So it's similar to culture. I feel that it's, it's all about empathy. And I, I think I got that from my father uh, and my mother um, that you really need to get to know your workforce, be genuine with them. And it's not like fake it and you, you got to really be genuine um, and, and get to know them and understand their fears and, and what's bothering them. Um, I, you know, I, I in recent um, two incidents that that uh, illustrate how how empathy works, at least for me, I had an employee who um, who uh, um, ended up dying from colon cancer. You know, that's pretty preventable. Yeah, if, if if it's detected, um, found out that she was um, um, afraid of going to the doctor, uh, didn't have the money for a colonoscopy. Well, so what did I do? So this it transcends financial. So I I. I Try to figure out, well, don't we pay for a colonoscopy or, or pay for the majority of it? Well, we pay for 50% of it. So I, mm. I said, okay, we're not, this won't happen again. People are important. If they're afraid or can't financially afford to do something that'll save their lives, we'll fix it. Wow. So at Hub, we, we pay 100% of the colonoscopy. Um, just recently, I had an employee who couldn't hear. It was weird. I'm, and I've known him for 40 years. He's kind of like a brother to me. I went with him to the hearing specialist because he was afraid to go to the hearing specialist. Hmm. Um, so you know, that's an example of, of it's their family to me. I'm willing to take the time because they've invested so much time in me. Yeah. And to be honest with you, between the guy, the guy who was having trouble hearing and was afraid, I know in the case of the employee who passed away from something that was pre- preventable, I felt I own that, you know, because obviously, man, I can make a big impact on that. I don't want that to happen. Wow. And I think it says a lot that you feel that type of kind of weight after something like that happens to have that empathy because all these conversations always come back to empathy uh, and employees recognize that as well. Uh, they can tell when they're truly cared for because uh, I know it's it's kind of a running joke I see on social media of, you know, someone says, you know, m- my example of company culture at my company is we get a pizza party once a year. And it's like, that's so true for so many people that, um, you know, they the company says they're cared for and they, they just truly aren't. And so for you to take true action like that and to actually, you know, feel that I think says a lot. Um, and you know, that's, that's important to have, right? Because why, why would anybody want to, you know, quote unquote, work for someone, um, who's not going to work for them in a sense. Right. Yeah. And you were talking earlier about, you know, that empathy carrying over to even when you have to have difficult conversations with an employee, and difficult conversations are never easy, but if somebody feels like you've genuinely cared for them and you can approach those hard discussions from a place of empathy, and I think, I mean, I, I'm a fan of, you lead by example, hopefully then they have empathy back for you where you can have that transparent conversation of, uh, I, I want to support you through this thing that you're going through, or maybe you're struggling to um, meet these expectations or these goals, what's going on with you. But then also, here's what I'm dealing with as a leader. Here's what I have to perform. And I have I have all these other people that rely on me um, to earn a living and feed their families. And I need you to be part of that. How do we work together and solve that? Um, you know, it's funny, you, you, Stephanie. Um, it makes things easier and harder 
easier for those conversations because it's coming from a place of trust. But it's so hard when you're either being taken advantage of or you need to make a difficult decision mm-hmm. about mm-hmm. somebody. I joke sometimes, I, uh, I joke with my, with my second in charge. I said, man, it'd be so much e- easier if I was a mean scoundrel. <laughs> you know. But at the same time, no, it wouldn't be because that's not what I, I, I want. I had an employee, um, I was talking to an employee about something the other day in the shop, and he, he said, hey, man, we're, I'm worried about you. He goes, you've been traveling, you're all working all the time. And that was cool. Yeah. You know, I'm like, I, no, don't worry about me. I'm <laughs> fine. But hey, you know what? Thanks. That was cool. Right. And part of having, at least on the employee side of that, right people, right seat that we talk about with, um, we call EOS, you go, you say EOS, I yeah, believe. Yeah, EOS. But we use the pinnacle, which is the kind of the splinter group. Gotcha. See, I'm in the Star Wars. I'm a Star Wars fan. I'm, <laughs> I'm a rebel. So I, I went with the rebels. Gotcha. Gotcha. But. Um, you know, that's, that's the mantra we use. And if it's really being applied, you will, that culture almost builds itself when you have the right people around. Um, and you know, can they do the job? Yeah. Are they the right person? Yes. And they should be here and we'll find a role for them uh, if it doesn't quite work out. Cause you gotta have the right people around, right? It can't all just be from coming from the top. It can't all just be employees pushing for what they need. It has to be a mutual relationship. And I mean, you, you said earlier, and I, I used the phrase and I, I did put quotes around it of, you know, you don't want people to work for you. That's not a great phrase. You're all in this business together, right? You're not just someone sitting at the top collecting a paycheck while everybody does the work. You're all in this and everybody needs to fulfill their role and hopefully enjoy doing it. So. I, I like to hire smarter people than me. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. You know? Any, that, what's the, there's the phrase, it's like, you, you never want to be the smartest person in the room, yeah, right? You're in and, trouble when you look around and you're the smartest person, <laughs> yeah. at, least, at least in my case. Yeah, well, and then you can, you can never really tr- turn it off too. If you're, if everything depends on you and your people can't do their jobs without your input, your insight, then, you know, that's not scalable. You can't be a hundred percent of everything. You need to be able to go home and know that your team has it and mm-hmm. they can do it and building that team that that can do it without you is I think the greatest compliment of a leader. I tell you, it's funny uh, since we've kicked off EOS or EOS or pinnacle, the same model um, I've, I've promoted, you know, I've got it by second, second in charge where she's managing, you know, the, the, the daily to do's, the action items, you know, keeping everything. It's allowed me to go out and kind of be curious. Mm-hmm. So uh, <laughs> I'm kind of now the disruptor. Yep. <laughs> well, in EOS, I, they make that differentiation. It's the, you have the visionary and the impl- uh, the integrator. Uh, integrator. Um, and uh, usually early on, that ends up being the same person just because, you know, the business is of a size and scale where you, you can't have two people in those positions. But eventually, or as soon as you can get your integrator to take on those daily tasks, then the visionary can do, like we always say, working on the business. When the visionary can spend 100% of their time working on the business because you've got a team that's in the business and you don't have to worry about what's happening in the business because they, they know it, they run it. So we tried that with, with us where I was the visionary and the, uh, the, we call it two IC second in charge. Uh, didn't work. Yeah. That's just too much. Yeah. Um, yep. Too much to manage, especially as, as you use the system, whether it's EOS or pinnacle, mm-hmm. it becomes a heavy lift to manage mm-hmm. all that. So it, trust me, it's been great as I've been stepping out from my role of, of working in the business to working on the business. I, I'm, I'm, reaching out to customers. And I, I say that COVID really 
really kind of set me back on that because I was really involved with customers and, and traveling, um, trying to kick that back up again. It's been fun, you know? Yeah. Um, we wanted to, I wanted to talk at least a little bit about what we've been hearing in our peer groups. Cause in our previous podcast that nobody heard, we got into <laughs> talking about our peer groups a little bit. Um, so we we'll, we'll bring that back around. I thought it was a good conversation to have. Let me guess, Ryan. Automation. <laughs> AI. Are you reading my mind? You're reading my mind. <laughs> like I've been here before. No, my content peer group, we talked about artificial intelligence, the role it's going to play in our jobs, if it's coming for our jobs, which at the moment it's not. Um, and, you know, in your industry, design is, is such a big factor there. And I, I just wanted to talk to you about the role AI is going to play, how your employees are feeling that, how are you feeling that, and uh, some ways you can leverage that. So I'll break it up into two two buckets, uh, the design part of it and the operations end of it. Um, and I know a lot of people are watching AI through uh, ChatGPT or its various iterations, um, but a lot of people um, aren't seeing the print part of AI, which is very cool. Um, and I'm an early adopter of technology, so I started playing around with MidJourney. I'm not a graphic designer by any stretch of the imagination. When I first started, I went into the graphics department. I think I lasted a week. Not my thing. <laughs> um, I designed my first label. It was a beer label. It was pretty awesome. Nice. Um, used mid-journey, and I said I wanted a, a, uh, an orange bike on a blue background for, a, I think it was a 3 by 12 beer label, and it was pretty cool. Huh. But the thing with it was it was a starting point. you know. And I think when I talk to graphic designers of the impact on AI design, it doesn't get you there. Mm -hmm. I mean, we talked about before we started um, AI when it comes to text, written word. It, it's a good starting point, but you still need to apply that human. What did you say, Ryan? It, um, um, it's, not, it's not a finished product. It's, right. AI is still not smart enough it's not, to apply It's not human. as, I mean, as smart and as fast as it is, right? I mean, you can ask AI to write a thousand word essay for you and it does it in three seconds, but it is missing a certain element of it's just, that human touch, it's almost, it's almost hard to quantify, but we are critical thinkers and it, it, we just mm -hmm. don't think we don't write the way it does. We don't design things the way it does. It's just not quite up. There's a reason it's called artificial intelligence, right? It's not a human brain. And so it, it's not really on our level yet. It's I don't funny think. The, uh, when you said that it doesn't think like us, doesn't design like us. One of the big fall downs with the mid journey was, uh, I noticed that it can't make people's hands very well. Sometimes yeah. they'll end up with five fingers or the, um, I, I, somebody sent me, no, somebody sent me an AI vision of a mountain biker and the guy's leg ended up somehow connecting to the bike's seat post and his hands were funky. So yeah, I mean, that's an extreme example of how AI fails. Yeah. Uh, um, actually, <laughs> a funny story about that. So I know some people that have been playing around, you can do their AI tools for your professional headshots. And you can just take a selfie of yourself in with any setting, any background. And some services turn them into amazing professional looking headshots. Um, and my I, I saw a friend of mine that did this and I shared it with my husband and I was like, wow, this is amazing. Like this person, she, she just sent her picture into this platform. So he tried it and we learned that the platform that he used was a hundred percent AI. It did not work out very well. These are not <laughs> pictures that he was going to put on the internet anywhere. <laughs> um, and the one that the other person that I knew, 
she used a platform that started with AI, but did just what you said, had designer or professional photo editors then mm. that just took it a little bit further. So it was less expensive than professional headshots because it got them started, but still had that human touch. Still need to. Yeah. That so, so d- long, didn't make her look crazy. So along <laughs> your lines of, of, of um, back to the design portion of it, I read an article that a designer, um, it gives them a template to start on faster. So instead of sitting there thinking, okay, so how am I supposed to, and come up with concepts, it gave him an, many concepts to start and it actually sped up his design time. Wow. So I know we talked about earlier, and I'd be remiss if I didn't talk about um, AI and operations. Yeah. Um, you know, one of the things that we're trying to do in operations is as the market space gets more competitive, one of the things that printers rely on or our customers is our expertise. So we're trying to leverage AI to eliminate those rote tasks that people do that can be replaced through some sort of automation. Um, so they can spend more time consulting with the customer, making sure um, that the, the orders entered correctly um, and the design elements are correct for the desired outcome that the customer is going to end up with. Yeah. And can you talk a little bit about how your employees are, are feeling that and some ways they might be thankful and how you can kind of reassure them that you're not losing your job over AI and automation. Yeah. So fortunately for us, because we are a lean company, meaning we practice lean manufacturing, companies that first start out with lean manufacturing, the employees, if you don't market it right, they think you're going to replace them. Mm -hmm. You know, you're going to make the process more streamlined. You're going to replace them. So our employees already trust us enough to know that what we're doing isn't going to replace them. Um, But the the hangup was, um, is our software providers were late to the game. And um, the hang up with the on the employee side of it, they were stuck on an all or nothing solution, and um, you know they'd come back and say, "Well, this this doesn't fix the problem." There's still Joe customer, Bill customer, and X customers that it doesn't fix. I'm like, "Yeah, but what about the other eight? Mm. Like, well, the, you know, it doesn't have to fix them all. If we fix a percentage of them, remember the goal is to eliminate those tasks that don't add value. Now you could spend more time with those customers, yeah, and then we'll figure out, you know, just like you chip away at it." Yeah, it's the, if you can automate the things that are repetitive, that are, okay, this problem can be solved the exact same way that we solved another problem previously. That's the kind of stuff that AI can learn how to do and they can replicate it. Okay, every time I see this, I'm going to do X, Y, Z. You can automate that process. When you get a new problem that you've never solved before, that's when you need your people to Mm -hmm. kind of be like, okay, we we can't rely on on the automation to handle this because we've never seen it before. Now we have to do the things that only people can do. And when your people are spending a hundred percent of their time on the things that only people can bring value to, like that's, that's where it's at. And really smart people that are good at their jobs are frustrated anyway, by the time that they have to spend doing those repetitive tasks that they're not thinking or engaged. So you end up with happier, more engaged workforce that feels more fulfilled doing what they're doing. I mean, it's win-win. To scale it. So, so so the other part is, is from a scale standpoint, I talked about our scheduling software. Years ago, they started to kind of apply AI before AI was AI. And um, what if you can imagine having thousands of jobs in this schedule that one person needs to manage and kind of figure out what press platform. And there's a lot of constraints that go into this. I and mean, it's hard. You've got to look at ship date issues, uh, material coming in, making sure it's tough. So uh, there was a programmer from Israel who came up with this uh, software that would do that. 
And so all the scheduler now looked were for exceptions. So basically, uh, we would put in some constraints, and it would optimize the schedule based on those constraints. And if there were jobs that the scheduling software couldn't figure out, it would put them in a bucket. Say, okay, you human need to figure this out. So, uh, and the, when we implemented, and we didn't even have the constraints right, our productivity increased not by 10%, but actual 10 percentage points just when we turned it on. Wow. So that's an example mm -hmm. of, of how um, a lot of information, humans can't process it as well as a computer. Yeah. Hands Absolutely. Down. Just certain tasks like that, yeah. I'm interested, <clears throat> excuse me, as a as a leader that is on the cutting edge of technology and you obviously you believe in technology and deploying it in your business, um, similar to us here at Innovative, but we being in the technology industry, the majority of our employees are pretty excited when we introduce new technology. They by nature, they love tinkering with it, you know, sometimes, sometimes to a fault because we can be very quick to be want to go to the next latest, greatest new tool when we haven't maybe mastered the last tool. Um, but in the, the maybe you have more employees that are non-technical employees or maybe not as excited about technology. How do you push adoption when you're rolling something out to all of your employees? Well, they see me coming. Uh, <laughs> um, I know Jason and I go way back when it comes to technology. Um, so um, yeah, they seem, uh, you know, I'm always looking to do things better leveraging technology. How do they respond to it? I, they they kind of see me coming. They're like, okay. oh, what is, what's Thomas have in mind now? And sometimes, I, you know, the thing I try to get them into the mindset is it's not going to be perfect. Let's just try it and see what happens. Mm -hmm. I know a, a couple months ago, uh, one of my customer service reps, she gets blasted with emails about jobs. And she it's it, so I took some time and I did some research on how to better manage incoming emails from customers, you know. Um, and I showed her the technology and it was super cool how the platform worked and it integrated into uh, Microsoft Outlook. Uh, but she's like, she looked at it and she's like, oh no, I'll just tough through it. Um, <laughs> uh. Sometimes you just got to lick your wounds and say, okay, you know, Stephanie, if you're okay with that, um, because you have to change the way you work. Right. Some right. people don't want to change the way they yeah. work. And if she was happy with that, then, you know, got to go pick your fight someplace else. Right. True. Right. But sure. I've made some mistakes, technology mistakes, trust me. But you know, you gotta you gotta use that to learn from and just move on move on or fix it and but not give up. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean those risks can be worth it to not only learn something, but man, when you take a risk and it works out for you, it's like you just hit the jackpot there. I mean, you saved yourself a lot of time or maybe a lot of money. I mean, can you can you talk about a little bit uh just kind of being a risk taker of sorts and being ahead of the game uh, when it comes to your industry? Yeah, I mean, the the, the one that really sticks out is, is uh, not so much a mistake, but um, uh, digital printing. So digital printing, um, it, digital printing for us is in the desktop printer. I mean, we've got these massive machines that are uh, million, $2 million. Uh, so when you make a mistake, it can be big, but you have to buy a new machine. So about 10 years ago, I'm like, uh, I've got all these aging machines if I can come up with a way of mounting a digital print head on top of an aging machine, I basically reduced my spend and repurposed the machine that I've paid for. Um, the investment was about a quarter million dollars. It was a water-based inkjet head. Um, it printed great when it was printing. I mean, hmm. that's the other thing with, with bleeding edge is that it comes with challenges. Um, 
we dealt with, a, I think that was a big mistake. It was too bleeding edge. There were too many issues with material. Um, it was finicky. And then the, the straw that broke the camel's back, one of the markets that I really wanted to nail was the beer market. So if you think about the way a beer label is, you've got this protective film over top of a protective or a, the, the film that you print on mm. and the ink is sandwiched in between. Well, when they bottle beer, canned beer, it gets wet. <laughs> so the weirdest thing was happening where the, where the ink in the middle of the layers was somehow wicking out. Hmm. Now, who would have guessed that? Right. But um, that was a, a, a costly mistake. Um, from uh, other, you know, I don't think from an innovation standpoint, I've, I've, I've stumbled a lot. Yeah. But, you know, that's, usually a learning curve with something new, yeah, right? It's going to so. happen. Yeah. We talked about that a little bit earlier, you know, as we were talking about being a thought leader in the industry and you had said about um, people recognizing you for your success. Well, when you have success, it usually means that you've failed a good bit um, as well. And th that's worthy of being recognized too. Not being afraid to fail is how you have success. Absolutely. I'm not, uh, you know, it's, uh, I, my wife get, might get mad at me, but she drives her nuts. <laughs> I don't think things through where, you know, she'll, um, and a lot of leaders are like this where they have to overthink something. And I'm like, well, just, let's just start. Yeah, yep. <laughs> Can we start? Um, I definitely, it's, it's either a, a, a good thing or a bad thing, but I'm just willing to start because you don't know until you start doing it, right? You can't think of every yep. situation that's going to come up when you're thinking about it. Yeah. You just got to start. And if you, if you're able to get two steps ahead and take a one step hit back, you're still one step ahead. Yeah, and everybody operates a little bit differently, and it, it can help to maybe just have somebody around to reel you in now and then when they feel like they really need to, right? Because for the most part, things are working, but if there's you know that one idea, it's like, this might be a step too far. We might need to slow down and talk this through. It's nice to have some people around that can, that can then just maybe bring their more kind of straight, rational thought to the conversation because, again, you know, sometimes you just want to be like this is cool let's just go for it right and <laughs> the hell right yeah, yeah hey and it, so it's that's i think that's important to have that and but also bring the balance to wherever you're you're working or that's just in life you know it's funny my second in charge she warns the uh, executive team when i go to uh, events out of the office she warns them <laughs> so yesterday i was out of the office and i had time to think and i was pinging her <laughs> so next week i'm out at a conference all week so i think uh yeah, it, yeah, I come back with crazy ideas, and she's the one who's like, "Okay, so, so, do you really want to do that?" Sometimes I'm like, "Yeah, let's do it anyway." <laughs> well, we have the same thing around here. Uh, Jason always warns us whenever he's going away if he has a lot of time to like sit on the beach and think. He's like, "Just, just be ready when I get back," <laughs> and, and we always kind of brace ourselves for the ideas he comes back with. All the new ideas. <laughs> it's great. It's funny because when I ride my bike, I come up with some awesome ideas. Problem is, when I finish riding my bike. Like, what was that idea? It was really uh, good. So I need to figure out a way of capturing those ideas. Riding a bike, that's not the best place to write something down <laughs> as you think of it, I don't think. Uh, maybe my, I can talk to Siri. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> uh, I wanted to do kind of a hard pivot uh, real quick. Uh, you've been in this community so long. Your business has been in this community so long. Um, can you talk a little bit about the value of giving back to the community that you're in, whether it's through charitable donations or other work you're doing. Yeah, that's, that's a, 
that's a hard one and it's an easy one. I think it goes back to that. It's got to be in your DNA. Yeah. Uh, where I learned that, and I didn't understand it at the time, I remember in college, uh, it was a senior project and they were talking about um, things that business, in order for businesses to be um, responsible. Mm-hmm. I remember they always said you need to be involved in your community. And I'm like, at that age, I'm like, well, why? Fortunately for, for us, uh, we are in the little community of Bogginsville. So I kind of know Bogginsville more so than Hagerstown. So the need is a little different. Um, you know, it's one of those, it's, it, it, it's just important. Uh, we, we get involved with the, uh, the local elementary school. Um, I like to, to give and get involved with the local fire company. Um, I just think it's, if you're vested in the community, you have your business, I think they'll be vested in you. And the goodwill goes a long way. It's, it's one of those things where it's you can't quantitatively describe the benefits, but it's it's just a feel good. It's the right thing to do. Yeah, and I think that's part of being a local business. Also, you know, big corporations maybe have their franchises or their branches, and they say we're doing a fundraiser for this, but and that's great, right? I mean, raising money for whatever local charitable fund. Um, but when it's a business that is strictly kind of at its core and its DNA in that area, uh, it's a local family business. You know, they might they might have grown a lot larger since they started, but uh, for them to have their roots here, I think that I think that's just part of it to to really ingrain yourself. Otherwise, you're just kind of yeah giving services to the community, but you're also just kind of taking their money without giving back. So I think that is important, and I'm glad that that's kind of part of what your business does at, at Hub Labels and. They have that willingness to give back. So, Ryan, a difference uh, that you, you said it that's, that was important to me, it's easy to give money. Yeah. It's hard to give time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, uh, I, the way I, I try to do it is I, I try to have the employees give back through their time rather than give money. Um, so, you know, we didn't participate in United uh, Way Day of Caring, uh, but we um, will pay employees eight hours if they go volunteer. So, you can... Go volunteer once a year. We'll pay you the, your time. Um, I've always been that way. I'm like, it's it's easy to give money. It's hard to give your time. Yeah. And th- I mean, that goes back to even having empathy for your employees. And your employees live in the community where your business is. Your customers live in the, um, the community where your business is. So having empathy for them and maybe what they're going through and, and giving of your time and treasure to the organizations that support them. You know, it's your local fire company that's going to come put out your employee's house fire. It's your, um, you know, various community services, or even just having empathy what you're, for the causes your employees are passionate about. Um, I know that's one thing, you know, every now and then a request will come across our desks here. If it's something that an employee cares about, if it's supporting a customer organization or a cause that a customer cares about, like, those are just the things we want to get excited about giving back to because like that's what that's what kind of makes the whole ecosystem work. We can't do it without our people, without our customers, without our vendors. Yeah, ecosystem was a great way to describe it because I was kind of drawing a line in my head of the conversations we've had where you have people working for your business, uh, working in your business, and they that gives back to you, right? I mean, they're they're helping you reach your goals, have a successful business. In return, you're giving back to them, making sure they have what they need. And once that kind of ecosystem is developed, then you give back to the community and 
at that point, everybody's involved and everybody's being helped. I mean, that's <laughs> that's kind of just local economics in a it sense. Works, right? uh, that's just the, the the way it works. But again, doesn't necessarily work that way everywhere. And so it's great to be able to kind of promote and have open discussions about these things because it's as great as it is. It's it's not the norm. Uh, so I'm I'm glad you've brought that here and kind of really openly illustrated it for something that might not be so obvious to everyone. Cause I think there are a lot of people living in any community who might not be aware of, you know, which, which local businesses are, are helping out here. What's going on in my community? Like where are the local events that doesn't, that doesn't exist for everybody, even as much as we talk about it on this podcast or at work, whatever it might be. Uh, a lot of people just aren't, they don't have that community involvement. So for, I mean, for people who work at Hub Labels, if there's an opportunity to go donate their time or their money somewhere, that's a perfect opportunity to get in your community and get to know what's happening, get to know some people. You know, that's a message for our local elected officials is that uh, um, the big corporations don't, the CEOs, and the, they don't live in the community that they, mm-hmm. that's yeah. their interest. Yeah. So the local businesses, we live in the community that our businesses thrive and prosper. Yep. I mean, and, uh, you know, the message is sometimes I think uh, that local elected officials pay way too much attention to the people from outside the community. Yeah, that's totally fair. And I think (laughs) even if you're the owner of a local business and you just selfishly want your community to be be better just because it helps you, sure, maybe it's not the best intention, but man, if your company's all in on giving back to the community through money and time, like you mentioned, if we can get to that end goal, then then there's nothing wrong with yeah, that. Even if it, right. even so if you that, can't lose, right? Yeah, you can't lose. And listen, we'd love for the intention to be: I want to see this community thrive, rather than I just want to see my business thrive. But if we can get to that end goal, I think we're, we'd all be better off, you know. So while intention matters, it's like, man, if we can, if you're donating the time and money, we'll take it, you know. Hundred <laughs> percent. I was just gonna kind of pivot. You um, talked about Pinnacle. It's kind of a different version of EOS. We've talked about EOS a lot on on this podcast. What was that like? When did Hub Labels start implementing that system? What was that transition? I assume that was part of growing out your leadership team. How has that process been? So if you go back, I, I because I'm a, 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 a practice lean manufacturer, we used what's called Hoshin planning, which is uh, uh, strategic planning based on the Toyota, to, Toyota way. And I, I recognized a couple of years ago what was happening was that sprint, that year-long sprint, we'd lose our focus. Two or mm-hmm. three months into it, we'd lose our focus. Well, coming from uh, IT, I remember I went to a conference and I learned about, um, I think you call them, the, the strategic planning methodology uses sprints. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, well, that's interesting. Because uh, we, we'd lose our steam. If a team got off track, we'd lose our steam and then we could never get it back. So what I liked about EOS or Pinnacle or sprints and technology is that you shorten up those those windows. Mm-hmm. And and the other key thing is I, I would focus on the end goal. Yep. So I, I wasn't focused on the, the activity. So what was intriguing about Pinnacle and being a technology guy, by the way, the, the software was big for me because that it checked off the box for me. I didn't have to worry about the technology part of it, but it was those three-month sprints, those rocks that we needed to get done in order to hit our goals. Yep. The implementation... Um, yeah, well, you know, we, we'd been doing Hoshin planning for so many years, it was a departure. So there was the learning part of it. Um, right now we're, 
we get it. We know what to do. Uh, but it's now it comes down to doing it. Yeah. But it's mm-hmm. been a huge yeah. win for us. I yeah. just love the way the, the, it breaks the goals down in a way that just makes total sense. But it it's kind of puts you to it. You know, it's like, all right, we want to be here in one year or three years or 10 years. Let's keep looking at that and make sure that's realistic, but also break it down even further. What am I doing this quarter? And then from there you go, what do I need to do this week or this month? What do I need to do today? Just breaking it down piece by piece. And then it does allow you rather than January 1st, you say, we want to be here at the end of the year. And that's, that's kind of it. It's like, well, I, all right, I see what we kind of need to do here. Um, I'll try to do this by, you know, end of Q1, I guess. And then nothing's really set in stone like it probably should be. Set in stone and accountability too. Yes, absolutely. I'm not selling the software, but when you look at our, when we're in our team meeting and you look up and see the rocks, what's the people's progress or even to-dos. I mean, if you're the owner and you see a bunch of off targets red, Mm -hmm. it puts pressure on you. Yep. Uh, but uh, Ryan, you, when you were saying that, the other thing about it is it's flexible. Yeah. So uh, was it the last quarter? You know, we went into the quarter and, and being the disruptor that I am, I'm like, you know, all these things, guys, ah, we're not this. Our focus needs to be on OE. Um, and I mean, everybody in the company, because we were having some issues with productivity that I wasn't happy with. But the productivity, the a guy in operation used to take a beating on productivity because it centers on machine productivity. And I'm like, you know, and he was struggling with improving his productivity because the rest of the company was sending him garbage. I mean, that, I'm exaggerating. Um, so I, he was struggling. So I'm like, okay, guys, enough. Mm-hmm. Our focus this quarter is going to be OEE. Every single one of you in the room has an effect on on this guy's OEE. And your rocks for this quarter, your company rocks, will all be something focused on OEE, his inputs. Now, the other ones didn't go away, but I made it a company goal for, for everybody. Yeah. So, And we're still pushing for it. But that's the flexibility that EOS or um, uh, Pinnacle gives you. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And you know, we have scorecards, right? We know the numbers we need to hit whatever those those goals are and those are those are consistent uh so to have rocks as something separate and that rock can be whatever needs to be done to help yourself your department the company as a whole and there's that flexibility and as well with the long-term stuff you know you you'd like to stay on track with those things but if something needs to be adjusted or if a different type of opportunity comes up that you feel you could work toward you can adjust that as well uh, but on that short term, you are staying right within your goals and hopefully keeping them on track mm-hmm. and a- accountability. I mean, that's a huge part of the conversation of, you know, we we sit in our our sales L10 on on Monday mornings and, you know, it's all right, here's our rocks on track, off track, on track, off track. And, you know, you, you never want to come into that meeting and have to say off track. And it's going to happen sometimes, right? You're not going to hit 100 percent of your rocks every single quarter. But uh, to, you know have that feeling of not only do I want to do this for myself, but I, you know, I want to do it for the team. I don't want to let these people down. Uh, and that again, bleeds back into culture of, I want to do well for these people and I want to do well for my, my manager and, uh, just want us all to be successful. And I know that I'm a piece of that puzzle. I'm not just some cog in the machine, brainless work every day. So, or the flexibility to, for the team to step in and say, Ryan, man, I, I, my, my plate's clear. My rocks are done. Let me help you. Yeah, mm-hmm. that too. That's a great point. Because, I mean, <laughs> if that person, it's not like that person has 
uh, not completed their rock. Well, sucks for them. I did mine. <laughs> it's like, no, that, that person, what they're doing matters to you also, right? They're right there on your team. It, you should probably help them out if they need it because, you know, why would, why would you not? <laughs> Yeah, and I love that that concept. You know, we set company rocks, and we know that the company rocks are the absolute most important thing. We shouldn't be doing our individual rocks at the expense of a company rock. So if a company rock is not getting achieved, that is all hands on deck. And if we have to not achieve some of these other individual things, that's fine because we're all rallying around these things. But also, as long as these things are on track and they're kind of going how we thought they are, here are the other things that everybody else is working t- towards. And it just, and everybody is kind of moving in the same direction. And it, it also gives, you know, when you have that visionary leader or, you know, people that are always coming up with ideas, I know I'm guilty of, I said, I'm going to do this, but halfway through the quarter, I got this bright idea and I want to start working on it now. No, I'm, I'm going to put that on an L10. Does this make sense to solve this problem? Is this maybe on our issues list? We're going to tackle that in another quarter. It like it gives somewhere for those things to go so that they don't die, but you're not <laughs> doing them at the expense of all the stuff that you said was important a month ago. Right. The issues list. Oh, uh, <laughs> we love the issues list. <laughs> but I mean, this podcast was a rock at one point. Yeah, it was. And, I mean, actually, outside of recording on Friday the 13th, it's gone perfectly. <laughs> are, are we still good? We're still good. And I can't tell you how stressed I am. Reco- <laughs> I've never been more stressed during recording. I keep looking at the computer screen to make sure it's working. I can tell. Uh, I, know, I glance yeah. over and every time there's a lull and I see that straight line, I'm like, heart sinks My heart has bit. dropped 20 times. <laughs> uh, but Thomas, I must thank you for being a great sport and sticking through it. I think we re-recorded everything without missing a point. So I, I salute you for that because uh, <laughs> this, uh, as stressful as it is, I still think we we turned out a we did. great podcast today. Uh, you brought some awesome stuff to the table. I mean, talking about people and empathy and rocks, <laughs> we we love all that type of stuff. So so thank you. Hey, one parting thought that that uh, I just came up last week reading a book about leadership. Uh, it's uh, you know being a, a interested in the military. Um, it was uh, Admiral McRaven in his book. He's the guy that did that famous uh, uh, speech to, uh, was it the midshipman about making your bed? He had this cool um, uh, quote by Pope Francis that said, in order for you to be a good leader, the shepherd must smell like the sheep. Mm. So that's kind of embodies my philosophy that in order to be a good leader, you need to be yep. with the people that are doing the work. Absolutely. So, Part parting thought is that uh, you know you can't lead from the front. You got to lead from the pack or lead from behind and push everybody. Yeah, awesome sentiment. I mean, we we preach that all the time on this podcast. So I'm glad you're embodying that, and uh, I can tell you're a good guy and you're you're doing good for your people over there. So, so thank and you're doing great for us because you sat here much longer <laughs> than than you needed to or had to. So uh, we we do appreciate you for that. So I think with that we'll wrap up. Uh, thank you, Thomas, for for being here. Thomas DeBurra, president at Hub Labels. Steph, thank you for sitting here thank for you. some extra time as well. Um, we we survived Friday the 13th. Well, it's not over so yet. far. Yeah. I guess there's a lot of day left, but <laughs> well, I'm calling it a win today. All right, you, you can't you can't you can't hurt my shine anymore. <laughs> Appreciate it. So uh, thank you all for listening. Uh, we'll be back again soon with another episode of Innovative Leadership.